Uh, let us pray. And Father God, thank you so much for once again for this opportunity. And I pray to those who are listening right now, I pray for wisdom and understanding and that um, we all can apply in our lives and to know more about love of God. Lord, thank you so much in all this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight we come to uh, what I think is really the climax of John's argument. This whole time and talking to us about faith and love, um, especially love. That's probably the, uh, the main takeaway that he has for fellowship is that fellowship consists of love and it depends on faith. So when we have faith, we have the ability to be in uh in fellowship, and when we are in fellowship, that's expressed through love. Um, and uh, if you remember, he opened his uh, epistle with these verses. He says, uh, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was manifest, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So he's talking about Jesus Christ. Um, the PowerPoint is not showing up the screen. Yeah, I, I don't have this verse on the PowerPoint. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so he's talking about Jesus Christ and that they saw him, that they were with him, uh, that they had fellowship together with Jesus and they had love together with Jesus. He continues, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So he tells them, all their, their experiences with Jesus Christ. And then he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you so that your joy may be made complete. So he wrote that as the introduction to this epistle in order to tell us that he's talking about love and he's talking about fellowship. And that's all dependent on our content of faith. When we uh, believe in Jesus Christ uh, as the one who died, rose, and ascended into heaven, then uh, we believe in the right object, and when we continue to believe, we continue in fellowship, and that's his whole point, is that just as they were together with Christ and they experienced his love firsthand, that just because Christ is not here does not mean that we don't share in that experience. He says, he wants our joy to be made complete as well. So we can experience the love of Jesus Christ, but we experience the love of Jesus Christ when we are in fellowship with the brothers who are also in the love of Christ. So we demonstrate God's love towards one another. Uh, and that's really the argument that John is getting to here uh, in 1 John 4, 11 to 16. So this is the climax of his argument. So he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So although we do not see him and have not seen him, uh, we love each other because God abides in us and his love is then perfected in us when we show his love to others. Uh, and remember, that is not love that we create. That's his love that he gives us. 
that we reflect back to others. We become so full um, of him that we share that love. So if we are not walking in the light, if we are not walking in the love of Christ, we're not being filled with Christ's love to share with others. And any love that we try to give to others is not giving out of abundance, but it's emptying ourselves and pouring into another empty vessel. Uh, so the only way to be truly in Christian love and truly in Christian fellowship is to be yourself in fellowship with God. If you are out of fellowship with God, you have nothing to contribute to that relationship with another Christian. So this is the argument that he is coming out of. Remember, um, he has proven to us already that Jesus Christ loved us. And the proof of Jesus' love towards us was his self-sacrifice. Uh, in 1 John 4, 9 through 10 that we looked at last week, it says, By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. So it's not just that he came to this world to die and justify us, and then we live wild and crazy until he comes, um, or we live uh, depressed and distraught until he comes. No, he has given us life now, uh, though we will see it even more completely when we are glorified together with him. Uh, at the end, even now, we have access to the mind of Christ. We have life in the spirit of Christ. Um, so he has given us life now um, and life more abundantly to come. So he says, in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation that is the satisfactory payment for our sins. Paul talks about the same thing. In Romans 5, 8, he tells us how God demonstrates his love towards us. He says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So remember um, that while you're a Christian, and if you uh, walk in sin for any amount of time, don't feel like Christ is not going to accept you when you confess your sins and come uh, back into fellowship with him. Because when he died for you uh, initially, uh, when he provided his complete sacrifice for you, you were still a sinner. So when he loved you enough to die for you, you were in sin. How much more now that you are part of his family, does he love you? Um, so remember that, that he wants Christians to be in fellowship with him, not running and hiding from their sins, but uh, opening them up to him so that he can uh, work in your uh, heart. Because if you hide those sins from him, um, he's not able to work in your heart if you deny your sinfulness remember or if you lie and say that you don't have any sin then the light is not working in you that was uh first john one again if you remember so paul keeps going and he says that these these have continuing results we've got a comment here ask what pudding means oh <laughs> yeah the title here proof is in the pudding uh it's just an idiom uh, I think, I don't know where it comes from. Um, I don't know. I'll look that one up and see what the etymology of that uh, phrase comes from. Basically, it means uh, you have tangible proof. Like, for example, when you eat the pudding, um, you know, rather than uh, just looking at the pudding. Maybe it comes from uh, pudding doesn't look delicious, but when you eat it, it is. <laughs> so 
Uh, I could be totally wrong on that, but uh, yeah, proof is in the pudding basically means that uh, it's being experienced and that's how we know. All right, so these continuing results that Paul's gonna talk about. He says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So remember, God has brought us into family relationship with him through justification. Now that we are in his family, his love towards us is a little different. It's not calling us to be part of his family, but it's calling us to act appropriately within his family. Um, now we are under the rule of life where we're expected to live a certain way to be in fellowship with him. Uh, when we didn't know him, uh, we were part of the world system. Now that we know him, we are part of his system, the system of Christ uh, in the spirit. So we should be walking in that with the hope uh, of glorification to come. And that's what should be sanctifying us. He says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. So we weren't just sinners. We were enemies of him. Being a sinner uh, apart from him is an enemy to him. God, through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So now that we are in his family, uh, even so much more will, will we be saved. <clears throat> so uh, let's look at another example then of Christ's love and what that means for us in regard to the rule of life as Christians. How should we be living based on the fact that Jesus Christ loved us and died for us? Um, in John 13, 34, uh, this is from the Gospel of John, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now this, Jesus Christ says, it's a new commandment. How is this a new commandment? I guess I won't actually ask you that question, but think about that. How is this commandment anything new from what God has told them to do before? For example, if we look back at Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 to 18, this is part of the law given to Israel. He says, you shall not hate your fellow countryman in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. And now in verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the old law was you should love your neighbor as yourself. So just as you love yourself, you should love your neighbor. How is that different then from the law of Christ? You shall love one another even as I have loved you. So we are no longer following our own pattern of how do I want to be treated? Um, how would I treat myself? Because we can treat ourselves pretty poorly. But Jesus Christ did not treat us poorly. Jesus Christ loved us enough to die for us. So rather than the poor standard of treating others as we want to be treated, instead, we go above and beyond and we treat others as Christ has treated us. Because he has loved us enough and filled us that when we love another in the love of Christ, we are not emptied. In fact, we experience Christ's love all the more when we share that love. <clears throat> so Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, uh, 
this is uh, the voidness of the law. So uh, Leviticus was part of the Mosaic law. This is what Christ came to fulfill and annul. Um, so after Christ, there is no more Mosaic law. Instead, we have the law of Christ. The law of Moses um, was a net positive, but it, uh, it existed to show us our condemnation in our sin. It existed to show us our sinfulness. Now that we have seen our sinfulness, we also see the solution, which is in Christ. So in Romans 8, 1 through 2, Paul, after a long struggle with the flesh, after saying, uh, finally, uh, who can save me from this body of death? Who can save me from this dead body? Uh, he says, uh, thanks be to the Lord. And then he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's talking about the law. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the Mosaic law was the law of sin and death. It convicted us of our sin. It showed us our sinfulness so that God was just in punishing for those sins. But he put the punishment for those sins on Jesus Christ rather than putting them on us. So that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sin debt under the law. And we are no longer under the law, but instead we are under the law of Christ. So instead of loving each other as we love ourselves, now we love each other as Christ loved us, even, uh, even dying for us. So continuing in Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, that means the law couldn't make us sinless. The law could only show us our sin. The flesh is not strong enough to fulfill the law, but Jesus Christ was strong enough, being God himself, to overcome the law. But God did. So the flesh was weak and couldn't fulfill the law, but God was strong and could fulfill the law because God is perfect and mankind is not. And how did he fulfill the law? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. Now, Jesus Christ wasn't sinful himself, but he came in the same material as we are. He came in the same way as a human, being a kinsman redeemer. Uh, an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we are no longer bound to the flesh through the law, but we are bound to the spirit through Jesus Christ. So we should walk in the spirit. All right, so here is his climax. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. Remember, abiding is a term for fellowship. So by this we know that we have fellowship in him and he is fellowship in us because he has given us the spirit. That is our mutual access to one another. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So John is saying, once again, he's reminding them, remember I saw Christ, remember I was together with Christ. And John was a very, very close friend of Christ. John is referred to as the one whom Christ loved. They were very close and intimate friends. And John is saying, this is the love I'm telling you about. This is the love that you can experience in the body of Christ because 
Christ has given us that ability to love one another um, sacrificially as he loved us. So in Romans 5, uh, verses 3 to 5, Paul, uh, similarly to John, now John, uh, besides Paul, John is the only apostle to write an epistle that is in scripture, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. So this, just like the gospel of John, was written to the entire church, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, whomever. Um, John's epistle is the only non-Pauline epistle to the Gentiles as well. Uh, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, Jude, those were all written to Jewish Christians. This one, remember, is written to all Christians, just like Paul. So there's a lot of crossover between Paul and uh, John. But John or uh, Paul says in Romans 5, we also exalt in our tribulations. So remember, this is not the kind of uh, human wisdom that uh, we might muster saying that we're enduring tribulations, so we're going to worship, we're going to praise. That is evidence of the spirit working in us, that when we encounter tribulations, we are able, and not only able, but we are, uh, we feel that urge by the spirit to worship and to praise God. Uh, so we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, has, who was given to us. So all of these things that we encounter in life push us towards hope. And that's hope of that promise that Jesus Christ uh, is alive within us, that we will be made alive together with him uh, when he comes to retrieve his church. Now, if you look at the fulcrum of this, it's hope. Hope is that point that it's driving towards. Now, hope is something we are only going to experience in this earth. Because hope is the promise of things future, the promise of things to come. Uh, you basically have hope when you look at a situation and it's not ideal, but you know that you have an ideal situation or an improved situation coming later. Well, once we are together in the presence of Christ, Hope doesn't disappear in the sense that we are hopeless, but hope will disappear in the sense that our hope has been realized, our hope has been fulfilled, that everything we've ever hoped for and longed for is present with us at all times. In fact, C.S. Lewis says that hope, its existence, is uh, a proof of heaven because hope, you need something to hope in, you need an object to hope for. Uh, and our hearts naturally long for that missing piece, uh, which is the presence of Christ, the presence of God, uh, and we will have that in heaven. Now, hope also disappears for those who end up in hell, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't disappear because uh, it has been fulfilled, but rather they become hopeless because there is no ability to uh, ever have that hope fulfilled. Therefore, there will be no more hope for them, but also no more hope for us. Only ours will be fulfilled and theirs will not. Uh, Romans 5, he continues, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did he die for? Did he die for the elect? 
Did he die for the chosen ones? Did he die for those uh, special Christians? Uh, no, he died for the ungodly. He died for those without God so that they might have God. Uh, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. Uh, <clears throat> in Galatians 4, uh, we read that uh, Jesus was sent by God. He says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He was born under the law to fulfill the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So the law kept us separate from God. We could see that, uh, that righteousness of the law that we could not attain to, but Christ attaining the righteousness of the law adopted us as sons and adopted us into his righteousness. And it says here that it was when the fullness of time came, when the time was right, um, God sent his son. And then he said, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. So it's because of this adoption, because we were brought into his family, he has filled us with his Holy Spirit. Uh, and the Holy Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father, we are in a family relationship with God. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the concept of fellowship brings in this concept of sonship, that we are the children of God. Remember, John has also told us we are the children of God. Uh, and therefore, we have been brought into his family and can rest and trust in his promises. All right, we're going to be done very fast tonight. So we'll have time for questions and prayer. We're almost done here. Let's see. Uh, Janet asks, will you clarify when it says sent forth? Um, does that mean he already came on the earth many times? Yeah, no, this sent forth, uh, uh, I believe, and let me check. This is an aorist perfect, uh, which means a completed action that uh, is only, uh, uh, aorist looks at the entire action as a single event but it views the whole aspect of the verb. Um, so when he says sent forth, uh, he is talking about the entire action of sending forth. There's not really opportunity for sending forth to happen outside of this uh, concept. But let me look at that. Galatians 4, because we have some extra time, so I can look. Galatians 4. Yeah, this is an aorist. Uh, just an aorist indicative. Um, so yeah, this is looking at the entire action though as a completed action. So this happened once God sent forth his son. And naturally we know that from elsewhere in scripture. Uh, we know that from the context of this verse, um, but the grammar as well points towards that being a single action that happened one time in the past. So um, God sending his son forth, um, just as Jesus says, he didn't come to fulfill his own will, but to he came to fulfill the will of God. Um, he was obedient in going forth when God sent him. Um, the grammar, the context, another scripture all, uh, all teaches that this happened one time. Christ didn't come multiple times beforehand, uh, but uh, he did come this time. 
Now there were what we could call Christophanies or Theophanies where the uh, angel of the Lord came, um, but he did not come in flesh. Uh, this being sent forth was being sent forth in order to fulfill this ministry, to fulfill this mission, to become flesh for us, to die uh, for us. Uh, when he came, for example, uh, to stand or to, uh, to uh, promise Abraham, the son to come uh, in, uh, what was that? Genesis 17, 18, uh, the angel of the Lord arrived uh, to Abraham. In Joshua 1, uh, he arrives to Joshua. There are multiple times where this angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, before he was uh, incarnate in flesh, uh, came to this earth. Um, but he has not come since, since he ascended up into heaven. If you remember, um, I think really early on in our study, we talked about the three offices of Christ, that he came as a prophet, that he now um, presides as a priest, and that when he returns, he will function as the king. Um, so when he was operating as the angel of the Lord, he was coming as a prophet, uh, bringing the word of God. Uh, now as the priest, he functions, as John tells us, uh, in the heavenlies as our advocate. He is not only our justifier, he's not only the one who made us uh, perfect uh, before God, but he is the one who argues our case before God as well. When Satan, the accuser, says, look at that. When you call him a Christian, look at all the bad things he's doing. And Jesus says, yeah, but my blood covered him. Uh, he was not perfect before. Uh, I died for him before I saved him. Uh, but now he is made perfect, not by his works, not by his merits, but by mine. Uh, all right. So this adoption of sons, God sent him forth. Uh, that was a single uh, event in history where, by the will of God, Jesus Christ was incarnate in flesh, uh, being the product of the Holy Spirit, uh, together with Mary, uh, but a divine uh, or immaculate uh, conception, you could say. All right, in 1 John 4, 15 through 16, uh, these are last verses for tonight. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So this is his summary statement. He's wrapping it all up together. Uh, but verse 15 um, is kind of a stumbling point for a lot of people. Uh, many people will try to add this into the gospel. They will say that uh, this is a means of salvation um, unless you have confessed with your mouth uh, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you are not saved. Now remember, our very important word in here is abides. God abides in him, and he in God, that's a fellowship word for John. John uses this Greek word, meno, to describe fellowship. He says, when we confess Jesus Christ, God abides in us. That when we with our mouth uh, agree together with the Spirit that God is who he says he is, then we are in fellowship. And we have to be saved to be in fellowship, but we don't have to be in fellowship to be saved. We should be in fellowship. That is the ideal. Uh, but uh, lack of fellowship does not mean lack of salvation. 
it means we need to get our ducks in a row. It means we need to come back into fellowship. This confession of Jesus Christ goes back to 1 John 4, which was just a few verses ago, um, verses 2 and 3, that says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard, that is coming and now is already in the world. Now saved Christians can be deceived by these spirits. Those who have been saved and justified on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from works, can later be deceived into thinking they need to add something to that, that Jesus Christ is not enough, or that perhaps the sacrifice uh, wasn't uh, in the flesh and therefore doesn't save us, but we need some other prophet. These are Christians who have fallen away from the faith, but these are not Christians who have fallen out of the hands of God. These are Christians who are not being sanctified. They are not in fellowship with God. He will still save them, uh, but he'll save them as though through fire. Uh, that's the last of what we have for tonight. But let me, let me take you to a verse, because uh, I think it's important, seeing that we came to hear in our talk. All right. Can you all see this screen? Yes. Okay, let me make it bigger text. Okay, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians oops, chapter 3. No, chapter 5. No, it is chapter three. Sorry, I didn't plan to show you guys this first, but I think it's important. All right, so he says uh, in verse 10, through here, through 15, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another built on it. That foundation was Jesus Christ. That when Paul came preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was the foundation upon which our salvation rests. Uh, so like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. That as we are discipled by others and as further generations of the church come, we are building on the foundations that Paul laid um, to the Gentiles when he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's looking forward into all these generations and he's saying, no one is coming preaching a different message than this. And if they are preaching a different message than this, they're not building on this foundation. They're building a different foundation. So he says, stay on this foundation of Jesus Christ and build on that. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you can build something that is not productive on this foundation of Jesus Christ. That once you have been justified, once you come onto this foundation, you can build a bad structure on it. You can build up false doctrines, uh, but still be saved by Jesus Christ. But the end result for this life and for your rewards is going to be a bad result. So what does Paul says? He says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. 
for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So we as Christians, we want to be building up good doctrines that come from the scripture that are understood through the spirit. And when we do that, we're building with gold, silver, and precious stones on this foundation of Jesus Christ. But if we are trying to build a temple of works on top of Jesus Christ, and we think that somehow those are going to sanctify us, we're building with hay, straw, and wood. Uh, and when the day of fire comes, all that remains is that work that Christ did through us, the gold, silver, and precious stones, and all the works that we did, all the, uh, all the doctrines of man that we bought into after we uh, became saved, those are all going to be burned up and gone away. So if we have based our sanctification on doctrines that are not uh, biblical, then we are not going to have sanctification to show for. We're not going to have works that are accumulated as we are sanctified, or uh, rewards, rather, as, that are accumulated as we are sanctified. So he says, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. So that work that is done through Jesus Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, that we receive a reward for. But any works that were built on false doctrines, any works that were done in the flesh and not in the spirit, uh, those there's no reward for because those will not survive um, into the next life. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as so through fire. Uh, so this is really the verse I wanted to get to. He himself will be saved yet as through fire. So long as we stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ, so long as Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone was the foundation upon which our salvation was founded, no matter what we put on top of that, we are going to get to heaven because of Jesus Christ, not because of ourselves. But we can thoroughly be unproductive in this life by adding different doctrines, by adding unbiblical heresies to our thought processes. Now, we are not going to be in fellowship as we are building that tower, but we are still building it on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That foundation is a solid foundation that we don't maintain, but is maintained beneath us. Just as it says uh, that we are held in the double grip of Jesus Christ and God the Father, uh, we can be acting poorly, but we are going to have no rewards to show for that. So we want to be acting in fellowship, acting together with the Spirit, so that we are building in gold, silver, and precious stones, uh, rather than wood, hay, and straw. This idea is also in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. So think of this in terms of our wood, hay, and stubble and our gold, silver, and precious stones. Any fruit that is produced is produced by Jesus Christ through us. That makes gold, silver, and precious stones. It's the same kind of imagery here. Um, but if a branch that does not produce, a branch that is wood, hay, or stubble, uh, he is going to take that away. 
but he's even going to prune or uh, lift up those uh, branches which are uh, bearing fruit, but so that they might bear them more. Janet asks, what is takeaway? He's going to show us what is takeaway here. Um, but I think that comes in verse four and five. So let's, let's follow his argument here. In verse three, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remember when um, Jesus Christ begins to wash the apostles' feet, and Peter says, don't wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus says, uh, unless I wash your feet, you have no fellowship with me. And then Peter says, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, you are already clean, but not all of you. So Peter wants him to wash him all over again. Jesus Christ says, that's not necessary. Just your feet are dirty. So he wants to bring him into fellowship, not save him initially. Peter has been saved by his faith already. But we need continual cleansing by the Lord. Now we're going to come back to this uh, John 15, but I want to take you really quick to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but those of the whole world. Now, if we look back at verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is not talking about initial salvation. This is talking about the blood of Christ, just as it is good for our salvation, it's good for our sanctification, that we need continual cleansing uh, because this world that we live in makes us dirty. When we live in this world, it rubs off on us, and that is uh, a hazard of being on this earth. But Jesus Christ has provided the solution for that, that the same blood that saved us, that brought us into his family, also cleanses us while we are in his family. Now, I think these are the, uh, the verses Janet wanted me to get to. <laughs> he says, abide in me and I in you. Remember, that is John's word for fellowship. Have fellowship in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. If the branch is not uh, receiving the sap of the spirit, if uh, the spirit is cut off from working in the branch, the branch gets cut off. Uh, unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. So unless we are in fellowship with Christ, we cannot produce any fruit. No fruit, no works can be produced unless we are in fellowship with Christ. For he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in you, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned now he's talking about our works this is the same picture as paul gives us in first corinthians uh, chapter three everything we have built on top of that that's all burnt up uh, <clears throat> but what has been produced by christ through us that survives Verse seven, or are we in five? Yeah, seven. Um, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Remember that whatever we ask uh, according to the will of God and when we are in fellowship with God, we are following the will of God. Um, he will say yes to if it is asked through his um, guiding of the spirit. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, not believers, not saved Christians, disciples. Discipleship is a different beast. It's a different monster. Discipleship is one who has given all. You have to count the cost of being a disciple. You don't count the cost of being a Christian. You don't count the cost of being saved by Jesus Christ. He calls believers to become disciples. He calls a believer to follow him more intimately, to follow him more deeply, uh, but not all Christians are disciples. All Christians should be disciples, but not all are. That is a Christian ideal. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Now, this, uh, this whole chapter sounds very much like the epistle of John that we're looking at. So he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So if you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So remember, that's John's purpose in writing as well. He says, our joy is made complete when you affirm these truths together with us. Um, but this is very important. He says, if you keep my commandments, what was his commandment? Just two chapters earlier, he gave his commandment. He says, a new commandment I write to you, or I uh, say to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And he says here in uh, verse 10, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. How did he keep his father's commandments? He died for us on the cross. So he was self-sacrificially loving towards us. Uh, so that is John's argument. He is taking the lesson that he learned from Christ in this instance, in John chapter 15, and he is teaching his church that, uh, that same lesson. You could say that John's epistle, his first, uh, first John, is his commentary or his sermon on gospel of John chapter 5. You could say that this is his commentary that he is teaching his church. And you see, he is not teaching anything new. He is teaching what Christ taught him directly. He's teaching that to us and we can um, abide in him and have fellowship in him, that is Christ, uh, by following his commandments. And we can't follow his commandments if we're not in fellowship with him. Uh, if we have sins in our lives that are keeping us out of fellowship, God has promised that uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us those sins when we confess them. So when he makes us aware of them, we need to confess them so that we can come back into fellowship with him. Um, only when we are in fellowship with him can we produce any fruit. Only when we are in fellowship with him can we build with uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. So if we are doing anything for God, uh, but not in fellowship with him. We're not doing it for us. We're trying to, we're trying to work for our own salvation. Um, and that is going to burn up. That can't do any good. All right. So I think we're done. Does anyone have any questions or uh, comments?
comments or ridicules for heresy? No? All right. Um, you mentioned earlier about the uh, Moses, I mean, no, not, not Moses. Abraham met, met the, uh, when you said that the Christophany. Yeah. Um, I want to know what is your assumption or what what do you know about the three angels that visit to to Abraham? Because I I I encountered many people saying that the three angels is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So will you clarify if you know something about that? Yeah, only one of these angels is called the angel of the Lord. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure if he's called. Yeah, he says. Uh, he says, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, please do not pass um, your servant by. Um, actually, is this? Uh, yeah, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Uh, so this is, not, uh, this is not talking about the three angels. It's talking about the Lord in the midst of two other angels. Uh, he says, when he lifted up his eyes, he looked and behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent to the door um, to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. But when he comes here, he says, my Lord, this is singular. He's only talking to one of these men. Oh, <clears throat> so, but, um, yeah. It, yeah, but, uh, but uh, it, the, 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 the statement was, the statement was, uh, and Abraham you know, uh, and the Lord with Abraham, while the two angels went to the Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. So is that the Lord is the Jesus, and the angel is the the angel of it's it's angels, not really the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, I'm sorry. Angels, and I think that's significant that only two of the of these men go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and those two are angels. Uh, so there's two angels and there's one son of man who's not yet the son of man. Uh, so this is Jesus functioning as a prophet, um, as a spirit before he became a man. Uh, so this is Jesus in his pre-incarnate uh, state. So is that also has a sense of like uh, uh, the angels, uh, I mean, just uh, sent forth that I mentioned earlier. Is that one thing that Jesus or uh, sent forth from the beginning? I mean, before. I know that you said that it's a whole thing. I mean, it says sent forth, but it, it is sent for. It is, I mean, past tense, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's uh, I just want to make, I just want to make, uh, you know, to to, to have a clarification in my brain about that uh, is the angel is the is the angels and uh met abraham right and then also in uh exodus 3 15 and then that's also christophany and then is that means that the sent forth is because jesus is already come many times mm -hmm. uh on this earth yeah, so I think uh, the, the question then would be that in Romans, when Paul is saying when Christ was sent forth by God, 
Is that your question? What does yeah. that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for that one, I'd say we have to look at the context. Uh, what was the purpose of his sending? His sending was to die for us. When he was sent back here to Abraham, his purpose wasn't to die. His purpose was to declare the promise of the seed to Abraham, that he would have a son, Isaac, by the woman, um, uh, Sarah. But God has sent him multiple times. He always acts in the will of God, being in fellowship with God, being part of the Godhead. Uh, but he has not come every time for the same mission. Uh, for example, in Exodus 3, he comes to tell Moses uh, of his mission. In Joshua, he comes to tell him of, of the uh, land conquest that he is going together with him. Um, so yeah, I'd say when Paul is talking about sent forth, we need to look at the context Paul is speaking in. Uh, yeah, no problem. But you are right in saying that God, when he sends Christ forward, every time it's acting in God's will. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Okay. All right. Anyone else have any questions or prayer requests? We haven't taken prayer requests in a while. Yeah, my prayer request is still the same. Okay. Okay, we'll pray for your daughter. All right. Well, uh, let's pray then. What about Rowena? And uh, have prayer requests? Yeah, anyway. Prayer request, ma'am? Uh, yeah, my prayer request is... Uh, that everything is going to be fine yeah especially my parents and my children as well okay so for Lisa's mother for Rowena's parents and children and for uh, Nita's mom uh, to find forgiveness all right uh, Janet do you have anything Risa? Mine is uh, the to be with my husband, of course, the process. Um, for me, um, for my family, and also, yeah, peace. Peace for them, and also understanding on what is our plan. Um, yeah, because I and my sister, we are planning to send our brother in the province but he is so stubborn so that is the things that like we are praying about and yeah just include it in your prayer thank you all right well let's uh pray and then we can uh, close for tonight yeah we'll pray for my health as well for all of our health yeah. all right let's let's pray heavenly father we Thank you for the relationship that we have with you as sons uh, through Jesus Christ, that uh, you came to die for us. You came in human form uh, so that you might fulfill the law and bring us into a much better law, uh, a law of liberty, a law of Christ, um, a law with a perfect example and a perfect demonstration of Christ and the power through Christ to actually fulfill that law, uh, that when we are in fellowship with Christ, when the spirit is working in us, 
when we are abiding on the vine, when we are building with gold, silver, and uh, precious stones, then we are doing the work of Christ, and it's the work of Christ, and it's the Spirit of Christ working through us. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have given us such a privilege uh, to be a part of your family. We thank you for the salvation that you've given to us, that hope and that promise of future glorification together with you, uh, and the means to live well on this earth as well. Uh, Lord, we thank you for each member of our fellowship group. Uh, we thank you for Janet and for Risa and for Lisa and for Rowena and for Nita uh, and for all those who, uh, who are listening but can't join us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for our families as well. Uh, lots of family requests this evening. Uh, so we pray for, uh, for Lisa's daughter uh, that she might come into a uh, relationship of fellowship with you. Uh, that she might be comforted and strengthened by your spirit. Lord, we pray for Ruena and her family and for her children um, and for Anita uh, and her family and her mother, that she might find forgiveness um, and that she also might uh, live in fellowship with you. And then, Lord, we want to, to uh, pray as well for Riza. Uh, we pray for our health. Uh, that we're able to uh, stay strong and uh, stay about the fight. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you teach us your will and that you give us the, uh, the strength and the wisdom to walk in your will, that you keep us in the light, that we abide in the vine. Uh, Lord, we pray for all those uh, affected by COVID, uh, lots of travel still restricted around the world. We pray that we're able to uh, travel to be with one another. We pray for Janet and Charlie that they're able to uh, to enjoy their marriage together uh, in this world, uh, that they're able to uh, to be together. We pray all these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.